We sit as we listen to our readings from Holy Scripture. A reading from the book of the prophet Amos. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high place, places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the Lord of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from, the follow, from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. The response for this psalm is, Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to the what the Lord God is saying, for, is, for he is speaking peace to his faithful people and to those who tend their hearts to him. Truly his salvation is very near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring up from earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The Lord will indeed grant prosperity, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and peace shall be a pathway for his feet. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he, lavished us, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ he has also obtained an inheritance having been destined to according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according his, to his counsel and will, so that we who were first set to our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and 
had believed in him were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand as you're able to receive the gospel. Well, Susan, may the Lord be in your lips and in your heart as you proclaim the gospel in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Alleluia, alleluia. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. King Herod heard of the healing of the sick, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men to arrest, who arrested John, bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother's, brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? And she replied, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Pray that I speak and you hear in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do be seated. On Thursday here at church, the young people and I were talking about, we had a confirmation class. 
And so we were talking about how easy it is to be tempted into wrongdoing, just so we could look good in front of our friends. Even though this means that we go against what we know is right. And we use the example of, because they're all youngsters, they're at school. We said, imagine your school friend said to you, let's go to the corner shop and steal some sweets. What would you do? You know it's wrong to do that. And as we're sitting in the class, you will say, no, I wouldn't do that. But what will happen when you are with your friends in the shop only two of you, you want to be their friend, they're the ace girl or boy in the school, they're the popular one, you want to be in their company. What might you do when you're there and we can't see you? Adults do the same thing. And the fear of what other people might think can sometimes shape much of our behavior. And this fear could cause us to behave in a way that's contrary to the person whom God has created us to be causes us to go down that path of sin and death. When we talk about sin as well in our class, we look at the word sin, and I say to the young people, who are in the middle? I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. And it's always I'm the one who is being selfish and yielding to temptation, probably putting myself first, and so we fall into sin. But the prophet Amos, he had no such fear. He gave the message to the people that God has laid upon his heart to give them, that God has ordained him so to do. John the Baptist also, he had no such fear. He was free from that fear. Now we know that John spent years in the wilderness on forgiving conditions. The daytime is really hot, the evening is cold, the winters are extremely cold, he was dressed in a coat of camels here. He fed on uh, locusts and wild honey. So these years that he was in the wilderness, he was listening to the spirit. And this formed him into a deep sense of identity with God. Living in the desert all these years, listening to the Holy Spirit formed in him a sense of identity in God. So John knew who he was. He knew who he was and he was committed to living out his vocation to prepare the way of the Lord. Even when he knew, it put him at odds with the authorities and it could cost him everything. So John's idea of living out his vocation was to step aside, die to himself, so that he could bear fruit. A lesson also for us. Unless we step aside, die to ourselves, the I, we too cannot bear fruit. Now John looked strange, didn't he, with his clothing? He had a strange diet. But he cared enough for his community. He cared for his enemies. He cared enough to protest and to speak out against the abuses of power. He loved his enemies and probably prayed for those who persecuted him. And like other prophets before him and since, his passion and love meant he paid with his life. His ministry could not have been more costly. 
while in prison waiting for his head to be chopped off, I wonder if he thought his vocational goals were being fulfilled. It probably wasn't that obvious. He'd been in prison for a while. Herod was still coming to visit him because he liked to listen to him. And perhaps John thought, I'm getting true to him now. Maybe he's going to see the error of his ways and realize that he is living contrary to the will of God. So this sin of Herod's that John called out was that Herod married someone who was too closely related to him. He married Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, his sister-in-law, and this is illegal according to the laws in Leviticus 18.16, Leviticus 20.21. When we are speaking to married couples and preparing them for marriage, one of the questions that the form has on it, are you two related by marriage? Because if they were, if they're siblings, for example, then we can't knowingly conduct the wedding. So it's the same in the case of Herod. What he was doing was illegal. But there is John thinking maybe he's getting through to him. Then comes this one rash promise from Herod. John is dead, opportunity gone. And if, as Mark suggests, that Herod is feeling guilty for killing John, there is no sign that he's changed his behavior. And just to clarify, just to get our Herod straight, this is not Herod the Great, who killed his wives, his child, who killed the babies of Bethlehem when the wise men did not go back to him to tell him where was the location of the newborn king. This is his son we're talking about, Herod Antipas, the tetrarch or governor of Galilee, the one whom Jesus called a fox. You may remember in Luke, it says some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said, go and tell that fox. Well, this is the fox he's talking about, Herod Antipas. So we ask the question, did John live out his vocation? Yes, I would say yes. Because his role was that of a herald. He was called to prepare the way of the Lord. He did exactly what he was called to do. It didn't bring him fame or fortune or lots of friends, but he fulfilled his role by standing aside, making room for the sun, and he continued to bear faithful witness right up to his tragic end. And as John completes his vocation, we see parallels between John's passion and Jesus's passion. Herod recognized John as a righteous and holy man. Pilate insisted that Jesus was innocent. Both Herod and Pilate yield to pressure. Herod to Herodias through her daughter and Pilate to the crowds. And the foreshadowing of Good Friday is seen in the somber reference to John's disciples seeing to his burial. John becomes like Jesus in his death. 
he belongs to those who overcame by the blood of the Lamb, as Revelation tells us. But what does sharing in Christ's suffering so intimately, what does that mean? Well, it means that John the Baptist was a martyr, and people like him were martyrs, and their death, too, is redemptive. So John the Baptist wasn't at Calvary, Jesus was. But Calvary is many places. The dungeon where John the Baptist was beheaded, the cellar in Kampala where Archbishop Janini Lewin perished at the behest of that ruler, the altar and hospital chapel in San Salvador at which Father Oscar Romero was assassinated. And in 2016, the altar in the church in Rouen in northern France, where 84-year-old Father Jacques Hamel was murdered. These are famous Calvaries, but there are countless others who will never be canonized, who will die, so that what is lacking in Christ's afflictions might be completed. When I read what St. Paul says about what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, I wonder what could be lacking because Christ suffered terribly before he went to Calvary and while on the cross. But like Amos, like John the Baptist, as we live out our vocation, as we continue to love our family and friends and relatives in equal measure, our enemies too, to pray for them, to pray for those who persecute us, like John did. Hopefully, we won't have to share so intimately in Christ's suffering. But we too must be prepared for that, should it come to that. As disciples of Christ, as followers of the risen, crucified Lord, who is the image of the invisible God, the fulfillment of all of God's plans. If, like John the Baptist, John the Baptist, we live as agents of God who challenge those in power. We may suffer significant consequences, or like the prophet Amos, escape with our lives. Whatever our end may be, we are reminded that God loves us. The God who has called us to live like the people he's created us to be is with us all the time. He was with John the Baptist, with Archbishop Lewum, with Oscar Romero, with Father Jacques, with everyone. So God is with us. So know that God loves you. And so when the time comes to yield or not to temptation, you could call on God to give you the strength to do what you ought to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.